Welcome on board for another episode of your Manchester United Fix. Coming up on today's show, we'll analyse the week's action from the first team, the women's team, right down to the academy results. We'll take a look at Gareth Southgate's England squad and the inclusion of Luke Shaw, Jaden Sancho and Jesse Lingard. Before we finish by previewing the fixtures United face after the international break. So first of all, let's focus on Wednesday night. Champions League returned to a full Old Trafford under the lights. A certain man made history by completing the most appearances in the Champions League. And he just had to have the final say in the game, didn't he? In the 95th minute, grabbing the winner. Cristiano Ronaldo, Brad, give me your thoughts on that game, that win over Villarreal on Tuesday. I would say, first of all, that it was a must win and they got a win. So the performance doesn't really matter too much in that sense. But the performance wasn't there. You know, they were struggling at times, Manchester United, to bring the ball forwards. They were struggling to really get a grasp on that game. And um, now Dan Juma, former Bournemouth winger, absolutely tore Diogo Dallo. He was so, so poor right back, um, which was so concerning if you're, if you're from a United perspective. Um, and to be fair, United was so lucky to go into that halftime break um, uh, level. Uh, and and Dan Juma honestly could have had a hat trick before twentieth minute. He, uh, David de Gea kept Manchester United in the game till the very very last minute, and that's when Cristiano Ronaldo popped up in the very last minute with the winner. Uh, but there were there were there was performances all around that were just so woeful. Uh, I mentioned Dallo, but um, you know there was also nothing going on up top. There was no creation whatsoever on on a night where Old Trafford was bouncing. And the team still couldn't really get going. I think I think that that was a big issue, uh, but but Ronaldo, right place, right time. That that seems just what he he he's doing in the in this United squad at the minute. He's not really creating or dribbling, taking players on. He's in the right place, right time, and that's what United need him to keep doing. One interesting thing, actually. So I was sat pitch side as the game was happening, and I was actually sat in front of Alan Keegan, which for those listeners who don't know. He is the voice of Old Trafford. And of course, he gets notified on when substitutions are going to happen and who's going to come on, come off. So obviously he can project his voice around the stadium. But one interesting thing is that Ronaldo was set to come off for Cavani, I believe. Can't remember who was correct, but they switched the numbers at the last minute. And I believe Greenwood made way instead. So they switched it from 7 to 11 and Greenwood made way. And obviously... It, it benefited, obviously, Solskjaer in the end. But if you're watching the performances and where I was watching it from my point of view, I probably would have taken Ronaldo off. Obviously, he's a player that you're going to keep on and he could create something. But like you said, it was such a it was a dead game in a sense because nothing was being created. And this seems to be the story of the season so far that the results are being scraped through, but the performances aren't really there. So what's going to happen? Is it going to kick on at some point? Or is it obviously going to go down the dark alley that not many people want it to go down? And that that could have been that could have been because Greenwood picked up a, a yellow card, didn't he, in the second half? So that probably makes sense uh, to 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 bring him off. Uh, but but like you said, the the creativity wasn't there, the performance wasn't there, but the three points were, and they were absolutely vital on Wednesday night. You know that if if Manchester United failed to get anything other than three points, they'd be in serious trouble in that group putting even more pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer than there already is and that there is an enormous amount of pressure and it's building and we'll talk about the weekend but it, it serious, seriously is building at the minute and I'm starting to kind of think that 
without Marcus Rashford, this Manchester United team is looking toothless up top. They are looking so easy to defend against. And I think I think the international break has come at a perfect time uh, for, for, for Manchester United because Marcus Rashford, you know, he's updating people on social media saying he, he's feeling fitter every day. But at the same time, you don't want to rush him back from a surgery and, and two injuries. But but United need something. They, they need him. Well, that's certainly one positive to draw on, the fact that he may be returning after the international break. And we'll look at the fixtures United have got coming up in that period shortly. But one thing I was wanted to mention to you is I've not told you about this, actually. When um, I was fortunate enough to be pitched out when you were doing the post-match interviews, obviously I got your text saying I was stood next to the greatest human in the world, which very, very lucky to be that. I was looking how other networks had Manchester United lining up that night and they still had them is in a 4-2-3-1 where Pogba was in the holding row with Scott but obviously if you're watching that game you're realising that that's not the case they are playing in different things and Scott is that lone midfielder in playing in that defensive role which does beg the question why him and Fred work so well together but that's two players doing one player's job and this is where it gets tricky because you want Pogba to fit in there you want Bruno to fit in there Whereas they play completely different roles. And obviously, Donny, it brings him into the equation that they want him to sit in that CDM role, but he's not fit in that position. So they've got a lot of midfielders in there. And there's, there's talk about bringing in other players to the club in that midfield position as well. So it's, it's just a bit of a fight for what works and what suits each player at the moment. But let's move away from our midfield problems and we'll look at the brilliance of Alex Tellers's goal because what a volley that was to draw things level. Oh, superb volley and, and absolutely incredible for his confidence as well. You know, it was a real, you know, that was almost like a welcome to Old Trafford for Alex Tellers because obviously coming into the Manchester United side during lockdown, during no uh, all games behind closed doors, no fans being able to see him. Uh, and United needed Tellers on Wednesday night. You know, Luke Shaw's injury really set them back. And Teller, Tellers really showed up when it mattered most. And, and he, that that volley is almost like, you know, that is Tellers-esque. Like, he can produce that quality from distance. And people know he can produce that because they've seen it in Portugal. They've seen the volleys. They've seen free kicks. And 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 the, the, it was Portuguese man to Portuguese, to, well, to Port, ex-Portuguese player um, in the league. Fernandes obviously played in Portugal. Tellez came from Portugal, from Porto as well. So a bit of a connection going on there. Fernandes put it back to the back post um, where Tellez was nowhere to be seen and uh, was nowhere to be found by any defenders. And, and first time as well, you know, it takes a little bounce as well, which I feel think redirects it into the bottom corner because I think on the initial camera angle I had a great view of it I was right behind it and saw it moving the whole way but I think it takes a little bounce off the floor and spins into the bottom corner it just looks so so nice but it, it really was a welcome to Old Trafford for Alex Tellers and like I said he stepped up when Manchester United needed him most and that, that that's what he that's what he did and that's what happens when you've got a when you've got a good squad that you can trust you can trust on players to come in when you've got other players injured and, and other players out through suspension or uh, whatever it may be but he, he came in excellent and and uh, a very a very important goal let's let's put it that way because it was already one nil down weren't they at that point so yeah tell us welcome to Old Trafford yeah it was almost tell us showing his true colors of his, his former Porto self because he was absolutely fantastic like you say over in Portugal and we've not seen too many performances like this from him playing for Manchester United because obviously since his arrival Luke Shaw's absolutely stepped up his game and he's become 
one of United's best players. So Tellez has probably turned up to a squad where he thought, oh, here we go, in a good, solid left-back position here. And he's sort of being pushed out by Luke Shaw, which credit, huge credit to him, actually. But got his chance on Tuesday night and didn't he take it because he, we know he's got that in the locker. We know he's good with his feet. We know he's good with his head. And yeah, what, what a stunning strike. And then obviously the final strike of the game coming from Cristiano Ronaldo. It was, I, I went and watched that back. I didn't realise it at the stadium that the keeper got a hand on it. So it, were, it could have been a lot closer than, than he would have liked. But yeah, and, wrapped and, up and three And Fred can play left back as well. What, what a stunning, stunning ball into the back post. I mean, Fred at left back, is that the, is that the, uh, is that the super sub of the, of all time. Well, you don't want him too close to defence because if he loses the ball, <laughs> that's the last line, isn't it? So oh, maybe goodness. maybe left back on the bench, who knows? Oh. But anyway, Atalanta won in the um in the other group stayed match, which makes things interesting in the group. But again, it's still all to play for and there's four matches left. You'd, you'd at this point expect United to progress in the Champions League. You're very pessimistic if you don't. But let's move on to the Everton game then because... 1-1, again, performance, you wouldn't really say it was there, but it's not a bad result against Neverton side that I'm sure will be challenging up there this year if you look at it from that point of view. Yeah, and I only got to see, actually, I only watched the first 45 minutes because I then had to shoot off to an absolutely thrilling game in League 2, Port Vale 3, Leighton Orient 2. Uh, I'll just give you a brief rundown. Leighton Orient uh, equalised in the 60th minute, one all. And then they get the winner, so I thought, in the 86th minute, Vale score 91 minutes to equalise. And then in the 95th minute, Port Vale get a winner. Well, unbelievable, honestly, 3-2. I bet that was a nightmare for you writing your match report. Oh, I bet you were writing, deleting, writing, deleting. The amount of words I think that I ended up cutting down was ridiculous. I rewrote it about four times, so probably about 4,000 words have just just disappeared, all because of that, because I initially had... Yep, Vale have bottled a three-point, you know, you know, they've bottled all three points. And then it was like, oh, they've salvaged a point. And then it was, they've got all three points again. Absolute thriller. Um, but no, back to the Everton game. So I saw the first opening 45 minutes. Um, absolutely sensational goal from Anthony Martial. It was so, so good for him to get his confidence back up. Uh, and, and if you watch the build-up as well, Greenwood out on the right wing, cuts in on his left, pings it into Fernandez, who then helps it on its way to Martial, who then fires past Pickford. It's such a typical fashion of Anthony Martial. You know, he's out on that left wing. He's got that devastating right foot and, and beats Pickford high and his near post. He should say maybe Pickford of the England team would save it. Um, but he always looks very different in an Everton shirt, doesn't he? Um, so I only managed to see the 45 minutes. And then you're expecting that United would go on to cruise and control this game and dominate. But I was listening to it on the radio and it seemed that United did start to do that in the opening 15 minutes. And it looked like they were just closing in on getting a two two goal advantage. And then Townsend obviously takes it up the other end from United's corner, which I think will be the most frustrating for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, it came from their own corner. Um, again, Fred getting beaten at, at the halfway point for for um, Damari Gray. Uh, Damari Gray, I mean, he's he's playing really, really well at the minute, but he he's no Lewandowski or Haaland. You know, he's not strong like that. He's not built like that. And he made Fred look like a six-year-old boy. I mean, it really is. He really just did bully Fred. And uh, but you you could argue that it shouldn't have got to that that position in the first place because of the corner. 
and then Decore finds Townsend, who then puts it past puts it past uh, De Gea to, to equalise. So, it, and we'll we'll talk about it later. But I just I, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Have you have you seen have you seen the game? What did you make of that goal? The Fred instant is what I wanted to talk about straight away because as a defensive player myself. There's only one way. He had two chances to do this, by the way. He had the chance to cut it out, first of all, and then the ball broke and he had the chance there. You've got to bring him down. You've got to finish their attack there. Stand on the ball and let your players get back, especially when you're 1-0 up. 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, you're probably still going to do the exact same thing. You need, to, you need to put a challenge in, win the ball or stop the play. And neither of that happened. He got bodied out of the way, which, like you said as well, they're both two people, similar stature, similar strength. And you would have backed Fred to put it to put Demario Gray on his ass there, to be honest with you. And the fact that he didn't obviously allowed Everton to counter and a finish and a celebration from Andros Townsend, which was, of course, interesting to stay the least. Um, but yeah, Fred's got to do better there. From from my perspective of the game, I didn't I didn't watch the full 90 minutes, but it's, it's interesting that obviously this time United scored first. They're obviously sometimes the victim. Vi- United are obviously sometimes the victims of conceding first and they struggle to create chances to get back into the game. Whereas this was completely the opposite. They opened the score and they took the lead and yeah, couldn't hold on to it. No, they, they, they couldn't hold on. And it was, you know, they, they got lucky in the end, didn't they? With the, with the offside goal and um, Tom Davies really should have taken that shot early. I mean, he was in a fantastic position to put it across the goal, similar to Townsend's goal, wasn't it? Um, he should have taken the shot, but he slides in Yerry Mina and he's just offside. And I think the most satisfying part about all of that was just Yerry Mina doing a dance. I mean, I mean, that is typical VAR fashion, isn't it? You know, he, he's managed to go over to the away fans, get into that corner. He's jiggling his arms. He's, moving his legs, doing a bit of a samba maybe. But, and then the next thing, you know, VAR check ongoing, offside. And, you know, it's just, uh, that is modern day football, isn't it? You know, the dancing, the technology, the ruining of the celebration. Oh, what it's like to be involved in a modern day football game. It's an absolute let off for Solskjaer. That is, he's got away with one there because like you said, Tom Davis could have finished it. And I also think that he made the right decision doing the cutback and obviously finding Mina who was offside which is unfortunate for Everton and they'll probably at that point in the game felt like they deserved to run away with all three points in that second half but luckily enough for United fans they didn't and and a point in retrospect you might look in hindsight and think a point against Everton isn't too bad at this time in I, th- the season. I think it's I think it's woeful I think a point at home against Everton is, is is shocking. This this Manchester United side wants to be top of the table. Chelsea, I know it's a bit different circumstance, but Chelsea go to Anfield. They, you know, they, they take the lead. They go down to 10 men and Liverpool score, but they still manage to hold on for a one-all draw. You know, that that that's that's a that's a point gained. That's a point gained. Manchester United on Saturday on Saturday was not a point game. That is a two points dropped. And and no matter how good or different this Everton side is to this Everton side that they've beaten in the past, Manchester United should be beating Everton at home. It's now the second consecutive year where they've conceded late 
and, and ended up losing two points at home to Everton. Obviously, you had the was it the Calvert Lewin the Calvert Lewin goal last year in the three all, and that they were dominating that game as well, and and it just didn't happen. So Everton are proving to be a bit of a bogey side, but they shouldn't be. Is my point. Well, that's one true interesting fact actually is, is teams like Chelsea this season and obviously you watch the Liverpool Man City game on Sunday and they're just leaking class and there's championship winning mentalities in this team and you pick out the strains of what's happening the performances they're putting in the players they've got when you look at this Manchester United team and the way they've started the season do you see any of those qualities in this team of a, of a championship winning side that are going to go on and win silverware comfortably be that team that people players that want to play against not at all not at all not this season i see the one thing i do see is if if performances do improve then 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 my mind might change um but at the minute it's not going to change and i think united are almost just waiting for mark rashford to be back and i'm putting a lot of pressure here on mark rashford because i'm expecting a lot and that's because the last time he was fit he managed 23 goals and 16 assists in, in, the, in that campaign. So the, there is a lot of pressure on Marks Rashford, but he should be eased into it. And I, I need to stress that fact that he should be eased back into the game. Uh, but there is no doubt enormous pressure. And and just you mentioned that I, I watched Liverpool Man City. How much more of an enjoyable game was that to watch than any Manchester United game this season? It was end-to-end flying in tackles, a real, real rivalry going on there that is building over these past 10 years, to be fair, Liverpool City. It's never really been a rivalry, has it? But it certainly is proving to be one of the box office games of the season. And that was just the perfect advert for Premier League football on Sunday. It was an absolutely fantastic game. Some of the players that they've got can just change the game like that. And that's almost, it's become a rivalry on the pitch rather than, Clubs, yeah, rather London than fan derbies, bases, Manchester derbies, yeah. When there's connections there, which is obviously everyone loves, everyone loves them games. But these two teams seem to be on this elite level where, if when they meet two times a season, they're the games that you want to watch. And it's just, it's a Sunday. You sit there, you're in the pub, you're wherever you are, you enjoy your beer, and you watch that game of football because you know that's going to entertain. And a few years ago, that could have ended nil-nil or the big games where you're expecting a, a big performance. They finished nil-nil, but what an incredible game that was and fantastic goals from both sides. But I just wanted to question you on the comeback of Marcus Rashford. You said we should take it easy. And you also said if performances improve. And now I'm not often one to be negative. I do enjoy being positive and I'm one for giving managers time to prove themselves and I think all teams need time to get in results. But if you're calling this a critical part of the season, Manchester United's next Premier League fixtures are Leicester City, Liverpool, Spurs and Manchester City with Watford in between, followed by Chelsea and Arsenal. So if we've spoken about this period in the season before. Is this, is this make or break time? Yeah, we've we've really hyped up this part of the season, haven't we? And it feels like a second ago that we were talking about it, and we were like, "Ah, oh, we'll come to that in a in a month or two. It'll it's a way, it's far away enough to 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 put to the back of the mind." But it's it's soon here, isn't it? And it all starts with Leicester away, and you'd normally say Leicester away, all right, yeah, they're, they're pretty good at the minute. We, we might take a point at the KP. 
But this year, it should be three points. It should be. Manchester United, the amount of spending they've, they've done, the amount of players they've brought in, it should be nothing short of three points at the King Power. Um, the, the, the way that, you know, Crystal Palace managed to come back from 2-0 down against Leicester. And yes, they were home. Yes, they had the home advantage. And Crystal Palace have great fan base. But the way Leicester City are playing at the minute, their defending is shambolic. And their their midfield is is lacking um, creativity, and they're, they're they're heavily reliant on Vardy. You put Varane on Vardy for ninety minutes, guarantee you he doesn't score. He doesn't score. Um, but I, I've been talking about this period for a long time now, and I think we should just read out the read out the fixtures in, in, in order. So it goes. In, we'll talk about league fixtures. We'll leave the Champions League aside, but starts with Leicester away on the sixteenth of October. Then you welcome Liverpool at home. Then you take a trip down to Tottenham away. Then you welcome Man City at home. Watford away should be three points. We don't need to discuss that. Then you've got Chelsea away. Then Arsenal at home. And it's ho, ho, ho Christmas time already by the end of that. Um, And you ask me, is this crunch time? Is it now or never? I think out of those, how many league fixtures? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Out of those seven league fixtures I've just listed, if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer loses four and wins three, I think it could be time for him to go. And that's quite a bold statement, mm-hmm. but I think that is that is the time to go because it's December the 1st then. And, and yes, it is significantly easier you know, nothing's easy in the Premier League, but after that, it's significantly easier where a new manager bounce could see your whole season turn around and it could be the perfect time to do it. But the reason I don't think it will happen is because Edward Wood is leaving in December, isn't he? He's stepping down at the end of the year. So what, what's he going to do is his parting gift, sack the manager, sack the legend who's played for your club, who's steered your club back to some, back to some stability. He's not going to do that in the final month. He he just won't. But I think that could be the perfect time to do it. That is a very good point. That's a huge variable that I'm sure not many people were aware of. And certainly not myself. I I didn't realise he was stepping down in December, which is going to be a a big loss to the club, whatever your opinions are. I'm pretty sure it is December. It's It's the end of the financial year. That's what it said. So I think it is the end of December. And then the other flip side of that is... The new CEO, the new chief exec who comes in, is his first move going to be to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? That's a bold one if it is. So it might even take him a few months. And then, but but then if you were to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as your first step, do you then say, okay, I've sacked your sacked your, your legend, but here's Zinedine Zidane for the knockout to the Champions League? That's the only way I can see that happening. Well, that's the situation, is it? I don't think any decisions are going to be made unless there's a huge plan in place and a reserve plan to back that one up. I would have thought if decisions are made without plans, then that's where you're in trouble. But when you briefly touched on the time of the season for a manager to come in, any for me, any later than December is not good because a manager doesn't have time to spend with his players. He's thrown straight into a big run of fixtures so if you look at Watford now, for example, obviously departed with their manager and Ranieri's come in to take over and it's the international break. So for the ones that aren't going away on international duty, which for Watford could be most of them, to be honest, he's got chance to coach them, get to know them and let them get to know him, which I think is very important. But 
bringing a Manchester in around January time for me isn't a good time to bring a manager in. So it is interesting what you say, but I also think that no matter what the results happen, if 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 Solskjaer loses all seven of these games, look, then I guess that kind of forces the hand. But I don't think that's going to be the case because one, Manchester United perform better against better teams. We've seen this throughout. We've seen this on odd occasions. For example, teams that don't sit back and defend and they come forward at you. So I think these are all going to be very exciting games. And this is where we're going to see the true Manchester United. If we can get some results from these, that'll take us well over the Christmas period. But so, so like so you said, going back to the, going back to the, the Watford part, I just noticed that that's a great point to make, bringing them in after the international break. And there's a long time, there's two weeks there in between Manchester United versus Manchester city and playing Watford away. So is what you're saying is if Manchester United were to lose at the King Power against Leicester City, lose at home to Liverpool and lose against Tottenham and Manchester City. So the next four Premier League games, if he loses the next four Premier League games, do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be sacked? Should be or will be. Okay, will be. Do you think he will be if he loses all four on the bounce? Do you think he will be sacked if they lose all four? Not a single point. I don't think. You know what? Yes, potentially just because there's a short international break after okay. that Manchester City. So that gap. international and point, I think that international break is key for your decision making there. Certainly. And I've heard this from numerous people before who've been in and out of management is that they need that time with their players to sit them down. If you're thrown straight in, it's often a difficult time to come in. This is where it can benefit clubs, though, if a manager, but this is where it usually benefits clubs towards the bottom end of the table because it's a fresh face comes in. No real expectation other than staying up. Whereas if you're a club at the top end of the table, you want a manager that's coming in with a plan. He's got his summer to get the players ready, have a vision for the season and extend it that way. Rather than someone who comes in at a time when they don't have that chance to get to know their players, it is always difficult. But looking at that Saturday, 13th of November, international day after the City game, I guess that's, that's obviously the chance. And if he loses them for, I would say he would be sacked. Let's hope he doesn't. I don't think he will. But yes, I do think he would be sacked. Do I think he should be sacked? No, I'm going to say no. I don't think he should. Even if there was those four losses out of the seven, he should not be sacked. Is that what you're saying? Even if there was those four losses, yes. Okay. Because, but then the other flip side to that argument is do you want to bring in a new manager and his first two, well, his first two out of three games are Villarreal away and Chelsea away? That's some serious, you lose two of those. That's your first three games as manager of Manchester United. Bang, pressure on instantly. Would you bring that? I don't know if you would. And then you've got Arsenal at home. Um, and then obviously the, the fixtures do die down a bit, but it just does every situation at the minute does not look good to get rid of any manager or bring in a new one. But also at the same time, if it goes horribly wrong, then, then, then what you do, it just doesn't look like basically, I think we've both come to the conclusion that if Manchester United over these next seven Premier League fixtures do horrifically wrong, they will be set up for abysmal, an abysmal time. An absolutely dis- disgraceful time for the rest of the season. It will really rattle that season, wouldn't it? And another another great question I want to ask you is: Do you think Solskjaer would walk? Would he walk? No. Or would he no. let it, would he let himself be? Sacked? Absolutely not. He yeah. wouldn't. He wouldn't walk. Would he not think I'm out of my depth here? 
I've spent 300 million no. now. And I'm I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would rather be dragged out, kicking his heels in the air than walk. He loves that club and he will do anything for that club to succeed. But I also like to touch on the fact that after that run is over, the run over Christmas period it's is favorable. Is very favorable of Manchester United. And I think that although majority, 90% of people who work in football just don't seem to have any patience anymore. And don't get me wrong, I, I understand this. When people are paying good money to go and watch their team and they're not seeing the results that are expected of a big club like Manchester United. But one thing from working in football is these players are human. They're all human. Yeah, the wages to get paid are, are ridiculously expensive, but that's not down to them. They are all human. And I think sometimes patience is needed for these players and for these managers. Obviously, people question how long Solskjaer has been given. He's been given a long time already. Yes, I understand that. But this period coming up of seven difficult games is also partnered by a run of two months. Yeah, I was about to say, the next top six, the next top six game is Manchester City away on the 5th of March. Obviously, you have Leeds exactly. away, and this is this will be your first trip to Ellen Road with fans in over 17 years, by the way. That won't be easy. But after that run, there isn't a top six side. It goes Crystal Palace at home, Norwich away. Brentford will be tough no matter what. They're playing excellent. Brighton will be tough. But, you know, the, these, aren't the, these aren't the fixtures you'd classify as clashes or top six. They're not notable on the diary except for Leeds away, which is the 19th of February. Um, so, you know, like you said, there is a favorable run there and that, that might, you know, this it sounds crazy, but that scheduling might just keep Solskjaer in the job, no matter what he does in this next month and a half, just because of how the schedule's fallen. But then I, mean, I know we're looking so far ahead here, but 5th of March is City, the, followed by Tottenham, followed by Liverpool, followed by Leicester. So again, another crunch time that, that, and that's in the last 15 fixtures so that could really but also that's in the last 15 but that is before potential silverware matches where you've got the champions league semis the finals the finals the fa cup or wherever you are in the season at that point obviously maybe focusing on the, the other competitions as well exactly that is being very optimistic but i think we should have a little touch on southgate calling up sancho and lingard to the england side Deserved? Um, I, w- I would say Lingard deserved it. I would say Sancho has his place in there, but I believe Gareth Southgate protects his players, which is a fantastic thing that you want from your manager. And I, I can see that he's been looking at Sancho and he's thought, right, if I can get him in, get him enjoying playing some football at England against Andorra and Hungary, which are teams he's more than capable of finding the back of the net, then he could score a couple and get his confidence up. And that would be fantastic for Manchester United fans. Yeah. And I also think that Jaden Sancho as well, every time he has actually been given a, a, a run in the squad, like the last 60 minutes he's played, you know, he's starting to play more. He's starting to get that confidence back, taking on players. Uh, and if him and him, I know we keep coming to Rashford, blimey, but if him and Rashford can both kind of hit some confidence at the same time, then they could be, could, could really turn, turn um United season on its head a little bit and the other the other talking point is obviously Mason Greenwood being left out again but that's because of education reasons I believe that that the I think it's Solskjaer and Southgate have come together and discussed what they believe is best for the for the youngster is that is am I right in saying that 
I have no idea, but I'm going to say one thing. If you are a Manchester United fan, I'm pretty sure you'd be delighted to see that. Obviously, Mason wants to represent his country, but if you can keep players away from international break, then you're laughing because you've got them fit as a fiddle, rested, ready to go once it ends. No travelling, no good minutes, ready to go. And obviously, with Mason, he's a young lad. He's been firing from all cylinders already this season. I think it's a positive thing for Manchester United that he's not going to be representing England in these two games. Yeah, agreed. I think it really, really dismantles your your form going away for international break. And I can't, uh, I hate the schedule. I absolutely hate the schedule. We've only just had one and now we've got another one. And then there's another in November. Then there's another in March. Then there's another at the end of April. I mean, come on, let's just get this season done. Let I'd rather I'd rather get the season done a month and a half quicker and send them off to camp before the World Cup a month earlier. Why why can't they do that? I know you've got to stagger the season, stagger the games out and stuff, but surely that makes sense to just have one big month of international games and you really get to like hammer home a, a sense of formation and skills and tactics in that month, wouldn't you? And, and the season gets done quicker. Oh, well, we'll yeah, that's I'll, another debate. <laughs> yeah, I agree completely with you, to be fair. But one bonus, obviously, when there are international breaks is that women's coverage gets a lot more popular and a lot more covered on different platforms. So I just wanted to briefly touch on Manchester United, they went back to the women in ways, beating Birmingham City 2-0. Leah Golton and Ella Toon with the goals in that match. Great to see them back in winning ways, all with smiles on their faces. Manchester United under-18s, dominant performance up in Newcastle, where it was absolutely freezing. They won 5-0. And Sam Murray, Hugill, got the hat-trick. But Sam Murray scored from a corner right at, in the last minute. Yeah, you, you might think it was fantastic, but it was that windy. He just crossed it in and the wind literally flew it into the net. One of the best headers you would have ever seen. The wind just took it into the, the net and the keeper stood there thinking, how the, I can't believe that's happened. 5 nil wrapped Can't defend anyway. those. And then, exactly, exactly. And then the under-20 fees beat Brighton 2-1. Alanga scored from the spot in the first half and Zidane Iqbal grabbed a 93rd minute winner to grab all three points for them. And after a bit of a slow start to the season for both of them academy sides, they seem to really found the swing of things now. And they're picking up a lot of points, which is always good to see. And one thing, obviously, Alanga dropped down to play in the under-23s and Joe Hugo dropped down to play in the under-18s, earning himself a hat-trick. I was very, very happy for him. It just looks so easy for him at that level. I forgot he was that young. He looks like he belongs in the 23s when you see him there. So, um, yeah, looking promising the further down the ranks you go. At least the future looks bright then, eh? Exactly. Something to hold on for. <laughs> That's everything from us here at your Manchester United Fix. Like always, get in touch, enjoy the podcast, listen, and we'll see you next week.